This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. Bryson is a young Liberal voter. He's the minority and he thinks his peers have got conservatism wrong. What? Tell me more about Bryson. Hello, fellow kids. At 20, okay, Bryson <laughs> Constable, that's his name. That's why he's a conservative because his name is Bryson Constable. Bryson Constable. He has no other option. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. It's kind of like me. It's it's nominative determinism. It's not what it's called, nominative determinism. <laughs> this is the, the dark emerald moon. <laughs> uh, Bryson Constable's views differ from most of his peers. Only 25% of young people align themselves with conservative politics, and he's one of them. <laughs> it's very easy for people to vote for the left, particularly when they're young, because these, those policies appeal to more short-term thinking and to more feel-good thinking rather than do-good thinking, he told SBS's The Feed. Okay, first objection. Isn't the whole yes. objection against, like, lefties and shit is that they're do-gooders? That's literally, like, that's it, isn't it, that they were all about doing good? But it's not about doing good, it's about feeling good. I'm confused. Just about know. the feelings, yes. And short-term thinking, sorry, Literally. we're trying to save the fucking planet rather than you know, all the short-term thinking yes. profits <laughs> and the fossil fuel giants, you fucking asshole. Fucking, yeah, short-term thinking, that's, um, that's really something. I will put a disclaimer that this is a young person engaged with politics. I'm slightly loath to shit on you know young people speaking to the media in good faith about their political ideology. But you're really wrong, Bryson, and you need to, you're that <laughs> you're wrong person you're who at 20 <laughs> doesn't have a... <laughs> And your name is Bryson Constable. Uh, basically, there's a profile piece. The feed spoke with people at Generation Z who are bucking the trend and voting Liberal. Here's why they aren't turning away from the party. Why Bryson stands by the Liberal Party. Bryson says former Liberal Prime Ministers like John Howard and Robert Menzies, whether you agree with them or not, they had a way of capturing the respect and the gravitas that they deserved. What? What? What's that mean? Capturing the gravitas with- that they deserved. Oh, right. Sorry. Yes. It, it yes. starts to feel mean, doesn't it? But keep going. <laughs> it's not nice. Uh, but in recent memory, former US President Donald Trump, who he believes doesn't align with classical liberal beliefs, has tainted people's perception of right-wing politics. And maybe right-wing politics have tainted people's perception of right-wing politics. Yeah. Uh, that's done a ton of harm to what people conceive the right to be, he said. I think having good leaders is part of it. It's just that we've got to get the right people at the front of the conservative movement, just you know, the right, the, the right correct people. Yeah, and conservatives, John Howard, they've done good stuff apart from Trump. Yeah, aside from Trump, like, it's all pretty good and young people have always been totally on board. It's a branding and marketing issue. He also aligns with many policies. Like the Liberal <laughs> Party, he'd like to see Australia adopt small nuclear reactors and said that he'd be hard-pressed to find a young Liberal who see doesn't it. care about the environment. I reckon I could do it, Bryson. I reckon I could track him down. I, know, like, I really do. I think I could maybe try and find one or two. <laughs> you don't could give probably two find them. Yeah, yeah. And then I like, like, they get his views on nuclear reactors. They say Peter Dutton's into the small nuclear actors. And then there's just a paragraph that says A report in May yeah. from the CSIRO stated that nuclear power was not an economically competitive option. And Australia <laughs> does not have the relevant frameworks in place for it to be developed and operated within the time frame required. They then just move on. <laughs> like, they don't go back to rights and free thoughts on this. They're just like, this is wrong and Credit bad. Credit to SPS, you know. You like this one, I think. Bryson, like the Liberal Party, is critical of Labor's housing policy. Oh, that's good. We could agree. Okay. Okay. Do we really want to be a country that is saying to its younger people, our solution to the housing crisis is to make it easier to rent, to make it easier to own nothing? If you're on the left, I'd be very, very oh. scared. 
very, they afraid, be very, very afraid. I like it, it kind of reminds me there's this thing about young liberals and the young conservatives, right? That it's like a pick me mentality in a way. It's like that thing where it's like, ah, oh, you don't have to, you could just stand up for like your own interests and be one of your <laughs> peers. But they're like, no, I'm different and I really badly want to be accepted by the crusty ancient men that run like this party that my family has always voted for. And like, <laughs> I will, yeah, completely just denigrate myself in order to achieve that. It's like the, you know, the female manosphere influencers who are like, women like me are all fucking worthless and shit. And like, we just need to listen to the men. It's sad. It's really sad. Well, that's not true. Okay. There are strong oh. female leaders within the young liberals. Okay. And the article days <laughs> okay. is out. Penelope Dawson not. considers herself to be on the progressive side of conservative <laughs> politics. What I really like about conservatism is that it involves the maintenance or conservation of institutions and traditions that really have given our democratic Western civilization the peace, security, and freedom we currently live by, the 22-year-old said. That's nice. Webster's Dictionary defines conservatism as... (laughs) (laughs) Teachers, parents, fellow students, all. Uh, It talks about how women aren't voting for the Liberal Party. Uh, A majority of female voters in all age groups in the last election preferred Labor over Liberals. So she's among a minority of young female voters yeah, in support of the coalition. She's special. She's not like other girls. And LB says the young liberals are male-dominated too. Funnily enough, I think the men I've met thus far in the young liberals and the conservatives have been the most respectful, chivalrous, kindest, and also encouraging men <laughs> I've ever met. Isn't that nice? That's so nice. I mean, she's right. That like men on the left are trash, but I suspect <laughs> that men on the right are also <laughs> trash. So yeah. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, bring it home here. Great piece. It's really worth your time. Check it out. I assume there was a TV piece coming this as well. But uh, basically, it's all about perception. See, and we've talked about this off air too. The Whenever they profile young conservatives, whenever young conservatives are, are defending their position, it's always like, people just don't get it, man. Yeah. They don't, it, there's a misconception of who we are and people just don't. They think it's just an old boys club because of all the old men right. that still main, maintain power within our side of politics and how we advocate you know, actively against the empowerment of women and bodily autonomy and, and also because of all the things we say and do, people think that we're bad, but it's just about perception, mm-hmm. man. You just need to, like, flip it and it's actually on fleek and dope and in no way mid. Yeah, it's actually really based. And if we just did more TikToks about how we want to <laughs> take away your rights and ensure that you never, yeah, like have a secure place to call home um, or a safe future climate, then, like, then people will realise how based it is because we get so many likes then. Bryson says that right in this country have been shaped by chasing media stories instead of engaging in a grassroots on local matters. Once again, we say right-wing people, please door knock. Please door knock and yell at people about uh, (laughs) trans people and nuclear reactors. I think it would just really help your case. Get out there. Get amongst it. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. (laughs) A lot of it is about meeting young people where young people are, realizing that we have to do things differently. We have to meet them where they're receiving information, TikToks, as you say. In any case, he's confident that the coalition will return to power. It's about making conservative a word that isn't a bad word. In fact, it's a very, very good word. It's a word that people should be proud of. Oh, oh, I don't. Okay, that's enough. I know. Bryson Constable reporting for duty. (laughs) (laughs) Bryson Constable. Talk about the Greens. That that bunch of idiots. Yeah, I've often thought Adam Bant would have been a great play school host in in a different life because he treats everyone like they're four years old. We're stuck with the hosts of Chapo Shithouse Podcast. This is a serious danger in Australia. 
Hey everyone, it's us, we're back. It's Serious Danger with your original and the best hosts, Tom Ballard and Emerald Moon. This is a podcast about green politics in Australia, even though Tom and I are not currently in Australia, but we've tried to figure out what's happening there this week anyway. Uh, it's not an official Greens Party podcast. It's made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. And this week we are talking about the Qantas Shemozzle crisis, Qatar Airways, flight stuff in general, and the climate crisis, all the crises. Tom, how are you going though? Did you miss it? Did miss us last Great. week? A week before as well? I have missed you guys very much. Yes, yes. Thank you so much to Penny Ormond Payne for uh, filling in for me. It was very, very kind. Uh, I was finishing up at the end of a fringe. I'm now in London doing shows. Thank you so much London. to all the danger dogs who have been coming out. Quite a few Australians Crazy. in the UK apparently listened to Serious Danger. Uh, totally into it. So they came along. So cute. Nice enough. How are you going? You're in bloody Greece, you Malacca. <laughs> are you allowed to say that? Um, I I am in Greece. Uh I've been, yeah, I guess I've been here for about a week. I've still got a few weeks left on my holiday, so I think this will be the only one that I can record while I'm overseas, and then Tom will have to find some subpar, I'm sure, replacements uh, for me. Oh, no. Or, you know, co-hosts that will really show me up, and then I'll lose my job, my very lucrative job as Serious Danger co-host. Um, but, yeah, it's Just good to, reiterate, to be you are on, on leave, holiday. And you are entitled to leave. Everyone is I'm entitled on leave. to leave. I'm entitled okay, to really- leave. I ask that the media respect my privacy. Stephen Miles is acting <laughs> premier. I return on 3 October. <laughs> you memorized it. That's crazy. Great tweet from Anastasia Palaszczuk. That's my favorite Palaszczuk post of all time. Like, wow. the whole thing is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> we totally leave. Um, thank you so much to people who have joined us on Patreon. Now, we believe there have been a few Patreon technical issues of, of late. Apologies if that's been an issue for you at all. But thank you so much. Oh, you go to patreon.com forward slash serious danger AU for as little as $3 a month. You get bonus content. Thank you so much to these beautiful people who are helping us support the show just so we can cover our costs. Jeef, PRK, Carl Fish, and Raylia Page, Lucas Moss, Torsten, Neil, Aladar, Patrick, Billy, Liam, Evan, and Abby. We love you very, very, very much. Sorry again if there have been any technical issues. It's all on Patreon's end. We have nothing to do with it whatsoever. But we appreciate oh, your oh. support very much. Yes. Um, and check it out. Our last Patreon episode was us discussing the politics of Taylor Swift. We went real deep on both yeah. her perceived politics, her actual politics, and the politics of being a global pop superstar. Uh, that was a fantastic conversation that I think Emerald really enjoyed putting together. I really enjoyed. And I know, I mean, I know at least my dear friend and colleague Lucas in that list, I believe, finally joined for the Taylor Swift episode. So hopefully it meets <laughs> people's expectations if they joined for, for that episode. Um, but if not, I mean, I see we, we've got an email from Andrew here who was saying that he'd been listening to some old episodes, um, from the Patreon and said, not enough kudos has been given to this tattooed land, which was our first Patreon episode, I think. Uh, Andrew said, I was traveling up to FNQ and I have never laughed so much in a podcast gold. I guess though, if the far right thinks that cows and gardens are so scary, it does give an interesting insight into their fear. Um, yeah, that was a really my episode reviewing this, like, far like very conservative um dystopian novel about a future where the greens are in government called this tattooed land if you haven't listened (laughs) i recommend it (laughs) so good 
Okay, one final one on a lighter note. Um, as you know, PM, I have, I have a strange sense of humour. Um, but <laughs> you don't know what's coming now. I know you're a little this nervous. This could go anywhere. <laughs> but did the Do I need to sit down? Yeah, no, no, you're fine. I think you're fine. Did the boss of <laughs> Did the boss of Qantas really get a lift with you in the government jet to Canberra? Uh, yes. <laughs> Do you think that's kind of ironic? That's simple, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, PM. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Trying to get my trying to get like an airline voice going. Um, it's been drama and oh no no that's like newsreader. I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> She's on holidays, people. She is on holidays. <laughs> I can't be bothered. But I the the Qantas chair has opted for early departure, Tom. Like if you're flying, so your departure, what? the Qantas chair. They arrived early for their flight, three hours mm. early for international. They were meant to leave in a couple of months, but they're leaving herself immediately this week. And then meanwhile, while that's happening, there's been this extra scrutiny around the government's decision to reject Qatar Airways' request for additional flights. And also the Greens are just trying to fuck the whole system up with their bill that would cap total flight numbers and introduce a curfew at Brisbane. And they also want to re-nationalise Qantas. Uh, mm. There's fucking bastards as always tell me i mean maybe you don't you don't tell me the exact figure but how are your flight costs nice and nice and cheap to get over to the or you went to canada first but yeah all good i went to canada yes the good people of Qantas flew me to la my main issue was with air canada who were responsible for losing my Mm. luggage for three and a half weeks so they sucked i'm pretty sure they were privatized there's a privatized fully national nationally owned airline as Mm, well so they suck uh, my parents are furious with Qantas. They they had that experience of like, yeah, trying to change their flights, mm. you know, COVID cancel flights, get the flight credit, and then they try and change their flights. And Qantas says, that'll be 250 bucks per passenger, please. And they will go, what the hell are you talking about? I had to change this flight because that other flight didn't exist because of the pandemic. You fucking crooks. God damn Yeah, that's fucked. So yeah, it's a lot of anger out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say flights are extremely expensive. Yes. I would say I kind of put off booking my flights for this holiday that I've planned to have for a long time, principally to visit my sister, um, being like, surely flights. I like, I just, I won't spend that much on flights. That's crazy. I'll just, I'll look back and I would sort of put it aside and then I'll come back and be like, no, no, I'm really going to have to spend that much to simply to fly uh, overseas. And it was very expensive. And the argument, there's, yes, obviously increased demand following COVID, although I read when I was preparing that for this that actually international flight, international flight demand, particularly like on Qantas at least, isn't even at pre-pandemic levels anyway. So I'm not really yeah. sure then how the argument holds up that what we have is higher demand and that's why prices are astronomically high now and we just need, you know, supply demand, we need more flights and that will mean that it will no longer be prohibitively expensive to fly overseas for Australians, which is why when Qatar Airways asked the government earlier this year for an additional 21 flights a week, they currently have 28 flights, people like the Liberals were like, do it, do it. It'll mean cheaper flights for everyone. How could you not do this in a cosy lives cost of living crisis? And the federal government was like, we will not do that. And the Libs said, you are, you know, taking bread from the food, from the tables of Australian families with this decision. It is <laughs> disgraceful. It's outrageous. Um, but the federal government said, no, you can't have, Qatar Airways can't have 
these additional 21 flights, they said it wasn't in the national interest, but they were kind of vague about why it wasn't in the national interest. And this is where I'm honestly still confused. So it seems as though there's a broad consensus that this had something to do with the an ongoing action by a group of Australian women who were on a Qatar Airways flight and were, as I understand it, like in 2020, removed from the plane at gunpoint um, and some of them were invasively body searched. It was part of this investigation into, sounds like a horrible incident where a baby was left in a plastic bag at um, at the Hamad airport. But yes, these women were, sounds like, horrifically treated and are taking legal action against both the airline and I think the air control, like the authority, the Qatar Airways Authority. Um, And we learned during question time this week that on the the very same day that this Qatar Airways application for an additional 21 flights was rejected, that was the same day that the transport minister wrote to those women who'd lobbied for that request to be rejected and, and assured them that, no, Qatar Airways wouldn't be getting any extra flights, which could make you think that, yeah, they're doing it basically because to approve those additional flights, given that Qatar is a government-owned and, and backed airline, could be seen to endorse you know both that action and the actions of the Qatar government in general, which, um, you know, human rights violations, bad, etc. <laughs> Very bad. Yes. Well, it was so <laughs> unclear, right? This is Captain King, the transport minister. And the huge heed, the coalition were going very hard over the government and her specifically in parliament, a lot of scrutiny being applied. She does this press conference in which she kind of says, look, there are lots of different factors. There are no one factor why this is happening. But yes, they're there in the airline where this strip search scandal happened. We think that's terrible and that's bad. So it's kind of a factor, but then also it's the national interest. And my understanding is they don't need, national interest is like throughout so many different pieces of legislation that gives the Commonwealth government huge amounts of power to make decisions for whatever the fuck their reason they want, and they can cite national interest, no further questions, which is seems seems bizarre. And people are particularly furious because, yes, the the seeming collusion or the very, very friendly relationship yeah. between Anthony Albanese and Alan Joyce or the Labor Party generally and Qantas, the Australian, any Australian government and Qantas, because it's still the national airline, even though we privatised it, it's this <laughs> insane, terrible middle ground in which yeah. they're both kind of acting as a, an official government airline, but they're completely run for profit. It's, oh, with no benefits to the public. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so this, like, this <laughs> just, is the other explanation, the right? The public just getting gouged as much as humanly possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the protections, like, all the rights and other responsibility, effectively, for the national airline. Crazy. And that is the other explanation, is that the government is running a protection racket for Qantas to protect their profits because if Qatar were able to run additional flights, then that's competition for for Qantas. Um, And it sounds like, you know, probably because Qantas, like, just wants to make extreme cuts and fire people all the time, they don't have as much capacity to increase the number of flights that they run, whereas Qatar does. Um. So yeah. yes, that is that seems to be the angle. Qantas recently PR. posting a four billion dollar profit or something, right? Uh, so they it was a two point four billion dollar profit in the twenty twenty two to twenty three financial right. year. That's a record a record profit, um, right. significantly higher than last year. They also so two point four billion profit. They got two point seven billion dollars in COVID payments from the from the government during Jesus. during the pandemic, which the Greens have repeatedly said they should fucking repay, particularly in light of that two point four billion dollar profit. 
I thought that this was a good um, a good quote from the Transport Union when they posted that that record profit. They said that's $2.5 billion of dirty money reaped from illegal outsourcing, overzealous redundancies, price gouging, hoarding of cancellation refunds, and decimation of service standards. Because yes, this was also the same airline. I think we even spoke about this on the podcast that they outsourced all those fucking jobs. They completely fucked all these people over in terms of customers as well as um, as well as the jobs that that they axed. They've had an ACCC investigation for selling eight thousand or something tickets on flights that had already been cancelled in May to July twenty twenty two. They this the mm. Senate inquiry into the cost of living crisis found that they had owed you know, $150 million, even more than they thought in flight credits. Um, they're just like, this company, I'll tell you what, no good. <laughs> kind of evil. Do you remember the thing where they they announced they were selling empty seats? You could pay to sit next to an empty seat. You could pay yeah, $30 yes. to be sat next, to have an empty seat next to you. But of course, if someone booked that seat, then you just would they would return the thirty dollars to you. So you were paying thirty dollars for absolutely nothing. You could just if there was no one sitting next to you, then you would just have it a free seat. But under this system, you could pay thirty dollars to have an empty seat next to you, which is what would happen anyway. You're paying thirty dollars for absolutely fucking nothing. It was bananas. I well, one thing I thought was interesting is when I was reading an article about the record profits that they posted, like. Uh, one area that they see particular growth, growth is not necessarily from the base airline fee, but it's all the fucking extras. Like it's all the charging extra for, for baggage and for food and for all those little things, which are, as you know, whenever you're trying to buy a fucking flight and you just like just have to triple check the page to be like, have I unchecked all of the boxes? Like please stop trying to ring me <laughs> for every scrap of money that I have. Um, and they clearly, you know, it's working. They're getting... <laughs> A whole lot of fucking money out of people. Um, and, Ooh. yeah, and so there's this assertion that, like, meanwhile, everyone's seen all the red carpet photos of Mr. Anthony Albanese, our prime minister, with Alan Joyce, the outgoing or now former chair yeah. of Qantas. Um, they're friends. The, Alan Joyce has said in hearings that he and Albo, as he says, have been good mates for years. Albanese has said mm. the same thing, like they have this very cosy relationship. And there were questions about whether Albanese had, you know, met with or been lobbied by or the government had been lobbied by Qantas ahead of the decision on the Qatar Airlines flights. Um, and I think that, yeah, like the government has been adamant that they weren't lobbied by Qantas and that Albanese didn't meet with him. I think the transport minister said that she had met with Qantas previously, but it was only about like industrial relations changes. Because obviously, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they did. I'm sure Qantas would be having meetings to be like, please don't make us pay or treat our staff fairly. Yeah, like <laughs> I just think it's, I think it's very, it doesn't really pass the pump test to say that there's not a very close relationship there, which is why this is one where, yeah, the Greens and the LNP have both agreed there should be an inquiry into or at least an investigation into that relationship. Yeah. I mean, does Qantas really need to lobby the government on this? Like, the government would know Qantas's position, which is uh, our competitors suck. We want as little competition as possible so we can gouge prices. We are a corporate behemoth. We're a national icon. Um, we're already friends. Like, I don't know how much yeah. actual direct work Qantas would need no. to say to be like, hey, by the way, please, you know, make a decision that will mean our bottom line, that will be good for our bottom line, please. Like, yeah. you don't actually yeah. need to do that much. And I think it's worth, like, I don't think that the Greens have taken 
a very clear or like an official position on the actual decision around the Qatar extra flights. Like I think whereas, you know, the LNP are obviously like, give right. it to them. The Greens don't, I think, want them to give them the extra flights, but they do think that the way that the government has been running the, or, you know, or regulating the, the aviation industry needs to be looked into. And I think that, I, like I assume Elizabeth Watson-Brown um, has a place on this new Senate inquiry which came out of Parliament this week that will look into all federal government decisions in relation to um, bilateral air service agreements in the past 12 months. So, yes, while we might not think that that we're not like, oh, that particular decision, but in classic our session we're like, it's not just that, it's the whole fucking system. <laughs> Typical Greens. Um, Typical yeah. Greens. But it's, I mean, again, I mean, like you couldn't, I think you can't get a more, a, a better example, perhaps maybe like the energy sector or whatever, like this idea that there can, a, a market can operate in the fucking air, right? Like, like we can privatize <laughs> the atmosphere yeah. and flying around and it'll work yeah. out fine. Like the- the entry cost, the idea that lots of people, that any small business could set up an yeah. airline to compete with what is at Virgin is an absolute fantasy. The air should be a public service. Like it, it, we, we could conceive of a country in which our skies are like railways or lots of other public transport options yeah. and which they deliver a service to people, which is efficiently and cheaply, affordably, and hopefully environmentally Crazy. consciously transporting people around the country, right? That is something that we yeah. could do. We could have taken that direction in the 20th century, but we didn't. And now we've got this absolute shit show. And the idea that the Greens are getting ridiculed for ridiculous notions, like bringing Qantas into public ownership, like, well, yeah. how's it working out? It, it's, it's going great yeah. at the moment. So Absolutely. imagine yeah. imagine how horrific or a disaster it would be if it was under um, public control. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, that, I, I think that this is one of those ones where the Greens' actual policy doesn't necessarily yet call for um, public ownership of Qantas or of like the airports, but Right. Elizabeth Watson Brown has been pushing that as kind of as a proposal, renationalizing Qantas, uh, we've spoken about on the show before. I think it'd be a great idea. The other thing, obviously, that the Greens are pushing, I think maybe it's this week or whether have they already have they introduced now the flight noise bill? I'm not sure, sorry. Not sure if it's been introduced, but they they recently announced, you know, that we will be introducing our, our flight noise bill, which includes a cap on the total number of flights. I think it's something like 45 an hour. And particularly for Brisbane, introducing a curfew like other airports like Sydney have and so yes there's then massive pushback from the aviation industry and in particular from brisbane airport corporation would you believe it saying that this is going to yeah. make things you know drastically more it's going to drive up airfare prices for consumers um i think actually i want to find brisbane airport corporation put out this media release which was very funny it's, uh, it says, in a new threat to the ability of Australians to travel affordably, the Greens have today announced their plans to introduce flight caps and a curfew on Brisbane Airport, scuttling Brisbane's only guitar service plus thousands of other flights each year. True, actually, that if this bill went ahead, I wouldn't have been able to get my flight. I flew guitar at 10.40 p.m. Um, <laughs> so, you know, really would have fucked me over personally. So I'm reconsidering my membership. Um <laughs> <laughs> But there's there's this yeah there's this whole like media release and then I found out that the head of PR at Brisbane Airport Corporation is Stephen Beckett who happens to be a former Labor staffer and candidate isn't that funny? <laughs> what? Yeah. What? Oh, that's a, that's like a weird coincidence. That's crazy. Yeah. Man. Even like how it's a small like how world, Terry Butler. 
Terry Butler's now, what is she doing for the aviation industry? Something about like green flights, which is just not a fucking thing. Because this is the thing, it's like, yes, as, as you know, you can't just keep adding flights to like, you can't just keep adding flights and flights and flights without thinking, hey, maybe that's A, fucked for the environment and B, just like logistically unsustainable. Why are we not instead looking at replacing a lot of those domestic trips, particularly along the East Coast, with high-speed rail? Better for the environment, cheaper, high-speed yeah. rail, high-speed rail. No, no, Emerald. See, you, again, you don't understand with your little woman brain. I remember uh, <laughs> researching, I wrote a piece for Crikey, actually, which we might put in the show notes, so that's okay, about nationalizing oh, products yeah. and bringing it back into public ownership. If people have a Crikey membership, they want to read that. But when researching that, of course, looking at the environmental impact of Qantas, and there was a literally a piece with Alan Joyce in which he's saying, we can have more flights and look after the environment at the same time. Uh, people like people uh, should not stop what, flying. He's like, we want people to fly more. Fly, 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 fly. But with offsets and with this hydro, oh you know, maybe hydro flight down the track, which is still like decades away. But you can no, have more and more and more flights and we can look after the environment. Everything's going to work out great. Well, you resign now, bitch. See ya. Alan Joyce, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah, so what he was meant to leave in October, in November, sorry. We already knew he was leaving. But then this week he was just like, actually, I am on leave effective <laughs> immediately. Um, and so now the new chair, Vanessa Hudson, is in place. Fucking Alan Joyce. And he, yeah, like this guy, you know, he said, oh, I don't think any public figure, any public CEO has faced as many calls to resign as I have. Like as though it's like he's being bullied instead of thinking, hey, maybe that's a reflection of like how you've driven this service into the absolute ground, Aaron, like, and are like an evil fuck who has taken $20 million in bonuses. Um, one of the first things that he did, yeah. you know, as as when he took this position on Qantas was that thing where they grounded flights rather than agree to reasonable, you know, workers' demands from the union. Um, so, yeah, good fucking riddance, but yeah. do I really think that this new chairman as a Hudson will be any better? Uh, no, absolutely not. We need to just, you know, re renationalize it and, yeah, rethink the whole fucking thing. Yes, please. Um, I mean, yes, look, the joke was made by many people across the board, but, yeah, his $24 million in bonuses should be given to him as flight credit, although I believe he already gets free flights oh. for the rest of his life as a former CEO of Qantas. So yeah, be totally well, because that's, that's right. They post their $2.4 billion profit and they're like, hey, you know what, staff? You can have a $500 travel credit. You are welcome. We care Oof. for you. We've discussed, like, you know, the woke, cap woke capitalism critique from right-wing populists before and how silly it is. But I must say, Jesus Christ, for a guy who is a union buster, who is a capitalist monster, who will smash his workers and lobbied hard to cut corporation taxes, you know, just classic ruling class asshole. The amount of like love and respect he got for being the gay Qantas CEO who backed in marriage equality and will take on these somewhat performative, dare I say it, virtue signaling positions on certain social issues as a company. The yeah. amount of like, it was a really good example, I think, of the kind of social capital you can build up by doing that kind of stuff in a woke capitalist kind of way, which yeah, does distract so somewhat for a period of time from all the horrible capitalist shit that you're doing as the CEO of a massive corporation. I've got a fire in my heart for you. I've got a fire, 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 fire. <laughs> everything is catching, yes, everything is catching on the fire. Everything is catching on the fire. Uh, we've mentioned we're both in the Northern Hemisphere. Can confirm. Hot, hot summer. 
we're, we're I guess we're in autumn now up here, but it has been a very hot summer indeed. Hot boy summer for I you. I must say it's quite nice in London. Well, all the British people around me are losing their minds. They say, it's so, it's so fucking hot, <laughs> isn't it? I'm sweating in that. <laughs> I actually think it's quite lovely. It's been 30 degrees this week and stuff. It's been, it's been mm. very nice. But, you know, this is not a good city design. Like if you're on the tube or anything, it just gets sweltering and it's really bad. Mm. And generally speaking, over the past couple of months, the Northern, Northern Hemisphere has been absolutely smashed by insane climate disasters. Uh, wildfires in Greece and Canada and in, in Brazil, insane record, like, um, rainfall. Uh, you are, Do you know much about, is Greece still on fire? Is, is this coming into your world much, the kind of crazy wildfires are happening? No, just in the last couple of days, now we've had the record, ha- had record rainfall. So not where, what? I don't think it's really affected where I've been. Um, and thankfully, yeah, I haven't been anywhere affected by the fires. But my understanding is like the last couple of days now, there's been yet yeah, torrential rain that's caused flooding, um, like just this cursed weather system that, yes, again, experts are saying very likely uh, made worse by and likely to become more frequent as a result of climate change. Yeah. Look, we know that you guys are all on board with the whole climate crisis thing and how it's bad and uh, hearing more information yeah. about how We're horrible it is too. Obama, yeah. but. I don't want to talk about it either. I'm so sick of it. But it is extremely important and we probably can't talk about it too much, really, in theory. But uh, there were just stories, a lot of stories this week, uh, touching on climate stuff. The World Meteorological Organization has announced that the world went through its hottest Northern Hemisphere summer a record, fueled by El Nino and climate breakdown, driven by the burning of fossil fuels. They get that in there in every story now. It's like, it's actually burning fossil fuels that is That's doing good. this, which is, is good to see. Yep. The WMO said on Wednesday this week that last month was the hottest August on record by a large margin and the second hottest month ever in recorded history since records began. Do you want to have a guess when the hottest month was, Emerald? When was the hottest month, Tom? I don't know. Well, it was the month before. It was July, you see. We've had the, <laughs> the hottest month on record in July, followed by the second hottest month of all time in 2023. We did it, you guys. Wow, we are just smashing records. You know, it's kind of like at the Olympics, how they just keep getting better and better. That's like us smashing climate records. <laughs> yes, except we all lose. In yeah. July, temperatures reached 40, 48 degrees on the Italian island of Sardinia, and San Bao Fuck in me. China's Xinjiang province recorded a temperature of 52.2 degrees Celsius. That's in China. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like that. In July, sea surface temperatures around the Florida Keys in the United States reached a staggering 38 degrees Celsius, a level commonly found in a hot bath. The water is 38 degrees Celsius, like the yeah. ocean where things yeah, live. That's, well, that's one of the reasons, yeah, the, you know, I was reading about it, that's now caused these um, or contributed to the, like, catastrophic rainfall in Greece is that the seas have been so hot. I think this scientist was like, the oceans are boiling. And I was like, oh, good. Yeah. Good, good, good. <laughs> uh, August 2023 has been 1.5 degrees warmer <laughs> than the pre-industrial average. So this is 1.5 degrees warming now. It's not settled in as the average, but like in that particular month, oh, it was 1.5 degrees we, warmer. That we were like, we really have to stop there, guys. That thing that we signed all the agreements to avoid. That thing that like literally yes. every piece of climate policy is meant to be predicated on keeping us under 1.5 degrees of warming, we, we're still currently yeah. arguing about the measures to meet that or not meet that. And it's when we've yes. already done that. We're already there. Yes. Good. Yes. And all the opinion I see is like, that's the base. Like, we're definitely at least getting 12.5 degrees. Don't you worry about that. That's almost yeah. locked in. Um, so we'll see. Uh, current levels of CO2 on our atmosphere have reached 418 parts per million. That's the highest it's been for millennia. People might know 350.org. 
the organization they're named after 350 parts per million, which is the safe level of um, CO2 parts per million that we're trying to go for. So we're currently on 418, we should be at 350 parts per million to have a safe climate. So quite a way to go to get all that out of there. Uh, climate scientist and lead author of the latest, latest IPCC report, Yoel Gerges, um, forgive me if I'm butchering your name there, wrote a great piece in the monthly and has warned... Oh, are they a listener? If you're listening, Yoel. Yeah, Yo- Yoel. Sorry, Yoel. Um, she has warned that business as usual exploitation of global fossil fuel reserves would see land areas of Australia warm between four and seven degrees above pre-industrial levels by 2100, meaning catastrophic levels of warming. <laughs> You don't see that enough of journalists no. when a climate scientist just lays out the evangelists like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously you don't need us to tell you that four to seven degrees warming above pre-industrial levels will completely change and make many parts of Australia completely uninhabitable. We are on a trajectory to reach a global average of 1.5 degrees of warming by the early 2030s. And at this rate, at our current trajectory, we would cross two degrees of warming in the early 2040s, which is real close. So you net zero by 2050 can go fuck itself. That's crossing two degrees of warming by the 2040s at the current projection. That's very bad. And it would mean the death of all the world's coral reefs. They're all gone. Bye-bye. No more. Couldn't. Couldn't. Yes. Sorry to bother everyone out. But I I guess, I don't know, how do we feel about these stories now? Because I do feel like, you know, the nature of a warming planet is that every now and again, we're just going to consistently be busting all these records, right? Because things just get warmer and warmer and it will be the hottest on record. And the... Yeah crises in the northern hemisphere did get a bit of coverage in australia i know but i don't know are people is it all just kind of becoming background noise now and people being like oh yeah that's what happens when you're on, living in a planet on fire i it really start it feels like that doesn't it which is like so fucking depressing and i think a lot of people and probably the people who listen to this podcast struggle with yep climate anxiety and grief sure. because of it and try to like I try not to think about it because yeah, it makes me sometimes I'm sitting at the gym in the morning reading the news, I see another one of these articles and I have to try and not cry at the gym. <laughs> like because yeah. it's that like I mean, and I know as well, like I said to you two, I was like, I think we need to we when we started making this podcast, we were like, you know, we're gonna critique the system, we're gonna talk about what's happening and we're gonna try and have a hopeful angle to it. And it's getting fucking hard huh. lately to have a hopeful angle. Yeah. Um, the only thing I started reading, do you know the book, The Minist- uh, Ministry for the Future? Uh, by Kim Stanley Robertson? Yeah. Did you read it? Yes. I've heard, I, I've heard, no, I've not read it. I've heard, I know, I've heard that guy being interviewed on, he's been on Chapo a few times and his general vibe is very interesting, but I've not read any of his stuff, no. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was recommended to me by my friend and comrade Claire, who like struggles a lot with climate group and it came out a few years ago it came out in 2020 i think um but as a bit of like it is terrifying in a way it opens with a terrifying you know talks about it's kind of it's like a um almost sci-fi futuristic uh novel but it is written as though it's like an historical account using fictional kind of uh yeah accounts from characters in the near future about how we dealt with the climate crisis and, you know, yeah. turning points and what people did and measures that we put in place to mitigate and, and adapt um, to a, a warming world. And I guess just, yeah, like I'm, I have been told that it may help me feel a bit more hopeful and maybe other people 
if anyone's looking for something to feel a bit more hopeful, like to believe that we can, you know, it will be fucking rough and it is fucking rough, but like that we will find a way through and we can, because if we don't believe that, what are we, what's the point of anything? Like we have mm. to, we have to believe that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, climate grief and anxiety are real things, completely understandable, and we all probably need to do a much better job of reckoning with that. And actually, this piece by that uh, UL scientist lady was talking about, you know, within the scientific community, the idea of people being unable to deal with their emotions. They're often really told, hey, don't get emotional, just be rational and scientific, just present the facts. But there is a greater awareness of the kind of mental health toll that a lot of these scientists and experts are dealing with, grappling with the reality of, <laughs> of the planet on fire. But I don't know, I mean, I know this is depressing, but reading these stories too, it also fuels my climate rage, right? Like my 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 um, yeah. outrage, the pure anger I find at the cunts in power who won't do anything about this and the, the apparent adults in the room who just continue to ignore and tolerate the situation ben. and does motivate me to do some something else. Like, I don't know, go out and get arrested or something. Not right now, I'm having a nice holiday in London. But, you know, when I get back, who knows? <laughs> as soon as I'm back from Greece, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I did find this out. Did you know that the COP28 is going to be held in December in the UAE this year? That is one of the world's largest oil and gas producers. And it's going to be headed up by Sultan Al-Jabir, chief executive of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. They're going to be the hosts for uh, COP28 this December. Yeah. Okay. What Seems a fucking joke. Jeez. Okay. So, like, really, we, yeah, we can't rely on them to save us. They're not going to save us. We've got to save ourselves. Yes, Australia, who's hosting COP31 in 2026, if all goes according to plan, we're going to be the real heroes. We know what's going on. Oh, no, wait. Our emissions are actually <laughs> rising. This came out a couple of weeks ago. Even though the climate wars are over, it's so weird. But uh, we found out that Australia's emissions are up by 4.1 million tonnes on last year, which is an increase of 0.9%. Of course, the Labor government trying to do their, hey, renewables are on the rise. That was in the media release. And the mm. minister was like... Australia's emissions are now 24% below June 2005 levels. Once again, this is bullshit. Greg Jericho read a great piece about this. 95% of the fall in emissions comes from the very dodgy land use changes, not an actual drop in emissions. This is saying, hey, we're not clearing as much land as we were planning to. Therefore, we're reducing emissions, which is just an absolute bullshit con. The Lick Coalition did it all the time. And of course, your Labor hacks said this is a disgrace. These guys suck. They're climate criminals. Now Labor does it. And... Who knows? And they yeah. They're our friends. We also had a report from the Queensland Conservation Council, Unlock the Gate, identified 18 new coal projects currently in development in Queensland, of course, supported by our good friend Anastasia Palaszczuk, who's currently on leave, which everyone deserves. Uh, these projects would Hopefully. be a carbon bomb. If they went ahead, the escaped methane emissions from those projects would rival electricity in the state uh, in terms of climate pollution yeah. by 2030. So that feels That's really a, good. This is an interesting... Yeah, interesting angle sure. around the methane emissions that, like, I've been hearing a little bit more about. And because cause it kind of goes directly to that argument that Labor and their friends will often make, which is that they, like, they just look at domestic emissions and they're like, well, they don't take into account any exported coal. And so when they're opening up new coal and gas mines, well, they're like, well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because that's, that's going to be burned overseas and doesn't count towards Australia's emissions. But then, yeah, when you look right. at the methane emissions, which are domestic emissions that would result from coal mines opened up here, it's like, well, actually, that's fucking wrong because this is something that's drastically underreported. We're increasingly seeing evidence that, yeah, methane emissions are not reported properly and are really a really significant contributor to global warming. Right. Because methane, people might 
think the cow's burping or farting or whatever the hell it is. Like that's my immediate association with methane, but it's actually all the, yeah, the shit that escapes while you're actually um, setting up these gas pro- gas and coal projects right across the border. Yeah. 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 Uh, meanwhile, the New South Wales Labor government, I appreciate there's Labor's in power there, yep. Uh, they're looking at keeping Australia's largest Labor. coal-fired power yep. station Araring open, Araring open uh, beyond its 2025 closure date. This is an origin power station. It's supposed to close in 2025. They released its energy checkup report, uh, which recommended the government engage with origin to just, you know, just talk about this and see if we can get some more coal-fired power going. Engage. The checkup was conducted by Cameron O'Reilly. This is another crazy coincidence, Emerald. Cameron O'Reilly, the former head of the now-defunct Energy Retailers Association, who was also a one-time Labor staffer, and senior energy department executives. That's kind of crazy. These guys, some coincidences. And in defending his report at the media, he stressed that he was asked solely to look at reliability and affordability of energy. Okay, that, mm-hmm. those were in his brief. The environmental impact of the energy sector was in no way the terms of reference of this energy check. Right. Okay. So and it's shit, not like, his like fault. That, when we hear it's all those depressing subject reports, that makes me go fucking insane. It's 2023. Someone does a review into the energy system and the climate question is nowhere to be found. That is fucking suicidal and bonkers. No, my department, sorry. Yeah, you're going to have to talk to Adrian in, in environment for that one. Sorry. <laughs> no. No, it's not actually. Yeah. Oh, but do you live on planet Earth? The person I'm talking to right now, are you Are you a human being on Earth? I couldn't tell you. Sorry. And I'm, I'm actually about to go on break, but it's not, it's not my department. <laughs> so I'm just going to leave that with you. So if you could just, yeah, thank you. Everyone deserves a break. Everyone is entitled to a break. Sure. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yes, we should do things. We should have hope and we should be angry about this, this, all we this kind of stuff. Things. And the question is what is to be we done? We should do things. Tom Bauer, 2023. I'm pretty brave. I'm coming out in favor of doing things. As is <laughs> Greens leader Adam Band. This is from a couple of weeks ago, but I thought this was kind of cool. Uh, he's called on people to join yeah. disruptive climate protests to pressure the Albanese government to stop opening new fossil fuel mines, saying he plans to help blockade the country's largest coal port. He said more people needed to get in behind groups that engaged in nonviolent civil disobedience, naming Disrupt Borough Pub, friend of the shows, hey. Rising Tide and Extinction Rebellion. Band compared frontline and climate activism to the types of civil disobedience that have been so crucial throughout history in securing change from ending slavery to gaining women's suffrage from workers' rights to civil's rights. Now, I know this is like all very, of course, this is what the leader of the Greens would say. This is what you would expect. But I just think it was good to see a major political leader intervening at a time in which fucking heroes out there who are putting their bodies yeah. and their lives and their livelihoods on the line in the very righteous cause of trying to do something about the planet on fire. Someone just come out and say, no, this is actually good. We should support them. We back them in. We love you. Thank you very much for trying to do something because yeah. our political class ain't doing shit. Like particularly when every like when a confluence of incredibly powerful forces are actively trying to suppress and harm those those groups and those movements. Yes, backed in by an absolutely insane rabid media. I mean, here in the UK too, and I've mentioned I followed UK politics every now and again. Like the the right wing fuckers who despise Just Stop Oil over here so much, and the campaign against these people is like insane. These are the worst scum of the earth. They should be thrown in jail. Like. Right-wing people losing their goddamn minds, demonizing these people every single day, and the actual state and police, you know, coming down on them like a ton of bricks and passing laws to ban their right to protest. Uh, Yeah, people on the left, we need to become these people and also stand in solidarity with those who are who are getting fucked over by the systems that currently stands. 
Um, Adam also said the Liberals and Nationals were kicked out of office for thumbing their nose at the climate crisis. But with Labor, it's somehow more disappointing because you know they know what they're doing is wrong. Some Labor MPs might not get into politics to help out oil and gas company Woodside, but sure enough, they end up there. Yeah. Now we need to embrace the importance of protest and civil disobedience. We must come together and fight back. Look here. And he's basically suggesting that like, he's going to join the People's Blockade at the Newcastle Coal Point in November. He's going to be there and he hopes to see everyone there. We all need to be there. Um, we might not all want to climb a coal bridge or sit in the foyer of Woodside, but we need to back the right of people to do so and celebrate mm. and feel joy from their action. I thought that was a particularly That's a good message. Good I like reading that. Are we going to go get arrested, Emerald? Is that what we're going to do? Have you ever been I arrested? Mean, I feel as though surely anyone who cares about climate change at this point feels as though it's an, an inevitability that at one point we will get arrested. I don't know when, but like... Sure, yeah. at some point. It, it seems logical to do if you have the ability to do it. But until then, yes, absolutely back in those people who are right now putting their bodies on the line and their livelihoods on the line to fight for this. Yeah. Finally, some people who are not exactly putting their bodies on the line, they're putting they're doing little drawings. Putting their little putting drawings on the line. line putting um, their little, or little trophies <laughs> the from their little drawings. <laughs> the nation's cartoonists have decided to boycott the very prestigious and widely respected and beloved journalism awards, the Walkleys, for political <laughs> reasons. Did you follow much of this story? It's it's quite funny. Um, like a little bit, yeah, because it's such a Twitter story. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you can't go on Twitter without seeing people talking about this boycott, which, as I understand, was started by friend of the show, former guest John Cadelva, right? Old mate, yes. Sign up to our Patreon to hear us playing Rusted on Bingo with one yeah. John Goodelka, lovely man and a good friend of the show. And sort of sphere to this. Yeah, a little bit of background. The awards, of course, big journalism awards happen every year. And they I didn't know this. They're named after an oil baron, Sir William Gaston Walkley, who founded the fossil fuel company Ampol in 1956. He was the founder of Ampol. And Ampol is a platinum sponsor of the awards in 2023. Uh, another serious danger, good friend, Osman Faruqi, who did our first demo episode, which we've never released. Yeah, a good never released. You guys he wrote don't a piece know that SMH he was a, pointing out a guest, but, but he was on a secret episode. Not public facing, friend. Yes, that you'll never hear. Uh, Osman wrote a piece for the SMH pointing out who Walkley was, talking about some of these extremely cool views, like an opinion piece that Walkley wrote in 1961, in which he expressed concern that Australia could cease to become a white man's country. Uh-oh. Oh. Oh, good. Um, so that was sort of that was in the mix, I suppose. But then also, also he was talking about his uh, fossil fuel um, connections, okay. i.e., founding Ampol, which is a pretty big connection. <laughs> a pretty and big then one. yes, John Goodelka wrote a post saying he won't be entering because Sir William had started Ampol and he was concerned about climate change. And he was basically saying that this, you know, they've updated a bunch of award categories to reflect modern times. People are saying, hey, there should be a, yeah. a walk the award for climate reporting that did not happen, and he thinks that's a little bit fucked. Other cartoonists joining included Australian Financial Review's David Rowe, The Ages' Matt Golding, The Guardian's First Dog on the Moon, Fiona Kostaukas, and a bunch of others as well. Ben. Thoughts on the cartoonist boycott? Do we stand in solidarity with these people, Emerald? What do you reckon? I mean, of course. Like, I think it's sick. But I I also thought that it was like this current, this year's current events are also sponsored by oil or gas, like by fossil fuels, right? In some way. Yes, Ampol is a platinum sponsor. Oh, still, of, right. Of the it's still just Ampol itself. I see. Yes. So, yeah. 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 Yes. Um, so, which clearly there must have been a very strong relationship throughout the existence of the awards. If the founder of the guy set up the awards and also founded Ampol, you'd think that they would have been pretty intimately connected for a very long time. 
But I think I guess you know people saying, "Hey, it's twenty twenty three. The world is on fire." Enough said. Now, is it just cartoonists? Because it's obviously the War Police is not just about cartoons; it's about journalism. So, have other journalists um, joined the boycott? That's a very good question. The yes, it really does seem to be based around cartoonists. The Australian Cartoonists Association or whatever, which is a collection of cartoonists, which I didn't know existed, uh, head by Kathy Wilcox. They wrote a letter saying it's no good. I have not seen other journalists uh, say much about it other than people critiquing the boycott, basically, you know, old school journalists like uh, Laurie Oaks and stuff saying this is outrageous. The Walkleys are are sacrosanct and uh, you shouldn't uh, demean them or deny them. Of course, this is not the right way to go about it. But the focus thus far seems to be mainly cartoonist based. Yeah. Isn't it funny? Yes. I mean, how petulant and like silly the response from people saying, how dare these people simply decide not to (laughs) self-enter into an awards competition. Like as if that is, yeah, some grave crime. It's like they've just decided that they wouldn't like to be involved with these awards, you know, and people are just so fucking mad about it. Yes, yes, always a classic, particularly boycotts across the board, right? When I joined the boycott of the Sydney Festival because they had a relationship with the Israeli embassies, like I just didn't do a gig. I didn't do a gig that all these people were never going to go to. And the anger (laughs) and the outrage at that was extraordinary. And the critique that the boycott doesn't do anything while simultaneously having weeks and weeks of media attention and actually resulting in results and making it a thing. Yes, it's just like, can't you see that you're... If you're not mad, then you wouldn't be giving a quote to the yeah, Australian newspaper. I'm not mad. Please don't put in your cartoon in the newspaper that I got mad. <laughs> <laughs> One of the nation's top veteran cartoonists, this is from the Australian, okay? So they're turning Michael Ludig into a veteran. Oh, Michael Ludig, our friend, our good friend, fucking lunatic. <laughs> top veteran cartoonist has described the boycott of this year's Walk the Awards by his colleagues as futile and in vain and urged them instead to voice their views through their artwork. <laughs> I thought cartoonists were free thinkers by their nature and by their work, one would hope, and not a tribe who act in unison. Those cartoonists are fairly tame and not seriously controversial in their work, unlike me, Michael Ludig, who questions the validity of vaccines. <laughs> Such is the subdued nature of contemporary cartooning. Perhaps those protesting oh cartoonists God. are needing to do something a bit edgy and exciting to repair their credentials and reputations as colourful creative outlaws of bold conscience. This is so strong in the like alt-right conservative mindset too. Like Everyone hates me. If, if anyone is yeah. acting collectively or saying something that other people agree with, that's groupthink and you're wrong and you're an idiot. You need but to be an outsider it- who everyone hates saying absolute bullshit to be, have any kind of credibility. When it's a group protesting something, like the definition yes. of protest means moving against the grain in some way. Like quite literally, yes, yes. it is inherently in opposition to the status quo and the broader group. It's like such a fucking lame, lame argument. You found other people who agree with you something politically and you're all doing something collectively. Like, yeah, group thing. That's, group that's thing, sheeple people. You sheeple? Come on. Yeah. This shows cartoonist John Spooner, who has won multiple Walk of the Awards, also criticised the boycott and said the cartoonist actions were similar to activists gluing their hands to the road. There's something yeah, incredibly stupid about what they're doing. It's a voluntary award system. Who cares if they go in it or not? Well, you, you. Do. you just said it's Clearly stupid you. and you, you're giving this quote. <laughs> 
I'm sorry that the cartoonist profession is being dragged into these idiot policies that are going to destroy the economy of this country if we go down the renewables road. So you're just like, oh, okay, so you just don't care about climate change. And, uh, Not you think even. That's... Wow. When okay. you really like expose yourself at, at the last second by not even, but by showing that what you're opposed to is not anything radical, even like shutting down or like phasing out coal and gas. It's literally just no. renewable energy, the most beige vanilla thing that even companies like <laughs> Ampol, even fossil fuel companies support renewable energy. Yes. The LNP supports renewable energy. <laughs> Only people who don't support renewable energy at this point are like complete not so tinfoil hat climate deniers. So... Yeah, you're a real you're you're a real crazy guy. I agree. You're fucking crazy. It gets crazier. Okay, based on oh. these other quotes from cartoonists, cartoonists should not give quotes. Cartoonists should stick to. Ca- I mean, some of these cartoonists shouldn't even do cartoons, but they should really just stick to doing their little drawings and having the little label in the corner explaining what the cartoon means. Because when they talk directly about what they believe, it's fucking bonkers. Walker the award winner Mark Knight. The guy who did the racist thing of uh, of Serena is among a group of cartoonists that has acu- accused colleagues in this industry of virtue signaling by boycotting this year's prestigious media honors because the event's links to petroleum company Ampol. It's another act of virtue signaling by the people. Let's splash it all over social media rather than actually make a change to achieve what we think is right. Like you know, I love that because he means doing cartoons. I guess like all these people should just be doing something yes. practical, like during like cartoons for drawing. Check this out. Yeah, so, so then, and now we get into this like uh, this uh, fuck you resentment vibe. I've entered the walkies yeah. this year, and I'll be sitting at the Ampol table, and my diesel Ute will be valet parked underneath. Oh my god! Wow, you're so cool. You're so cool. Awesome. Johan's leak got involved too. This is Bill Leak's son, of course, and now oh, uh, resident yeah. cartoonist of the Australian. Johan Leak, who has never before entered the walkie awards, decided to submit a last minute entry. When he heard many cartoonists were disgusted with Ampol's involvement. Okay, so he's entering the walkways out of spite. When he heard he might have a chance. This just shows. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, the field's wide open. I should get in on this. Yeah. This just shows that they are climate change activists as much as anything else. We're just. Okay. This just shows that they are climate change activists as much as anything else. We're just supposed to draw funny pictures. <laughs> These prizes to me are political, and they don't call it the woke lease for nothing. And I always thought it would be a waste of time to be a part of it. Why did you enter the workplace? Don't bring politics into cartooning. Yes. (laughs) Best one, hands down, though, is Sydney's (laughs) Daily Telegraph cartoonist Warren Brown, a car enthusiast and motoring historian, has also entered this year's awards. And he said the boycott was a churlish, stupid thing to do. I suddenly was getting all these calls from the Walkleys asking me to be a judge if I was going to (laughs) enter. Wait till they find who started the Nobel Peace Prize. Nobel invented dynamite. And I can't see anyone complaining about that. Okay. Nobel hated the fact that he invented dynamite. He was one of his regrets of his life. That's why he created the Peace Prize. Also, the Nobel Peace Prize is an absolute shit show when fucking Henry Kissinger and Barack Obama Uh, won it. So this makes no sense whatsoever. No one's complaining. Yeah. But this is a great. I champion fossil fuels. I can't get enough of it. I would have my own oil rig in my backyard if I could. That's so awesome, dude. You're so cool and edgy. That's crazy. I really hope, though, that your family speak to you again soon. Does he have kids? <laughs> like, do you, do you have children? I know, do, like, do, you, do you understand I the mean, concept that you will be alive probably in 2040? Do you get any of this? Yeah, yeah. Not, not even your kids. Like, but I'm like, yeah, if you've got family, 
I would imagine it's tense. I would imagine it's strained. And you're letting it out by giving your little quotes to the newspaper. And, you know, to each their own. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to, like, just, yeah, <laughs> do what you need. Do what you I need. I love fossil fuels. I think they're good. Okay. But okay. In solidarity with the people boycotting, it's a good point. But I think yeah. we should also say the Walkleys are stupid and bullshit. And journalists should not be celebrating themselves. And the whole thing should be it's abolished. Weird. <laughs> and, yeah, sure. Yeah. And okay. if there's any connection with Ampol, it, it provides any cover at all for fossil fuel companies. It's uh, no good whatsoever. And journalists don't need to be celebrated anywhere more than they already do. There already are. This includes for comedians and actors and stuff. Just get rid of the whole fucking system and just shut up and just keep doing your job, for God's sakes. The ice we skate is getting pretty thin. The water's getting warm, so you might as well swim. The world's on fire, how about yours? And that's the way I like it, and I'll never get bored. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a star Get your show on. Great. Well, that's been Serious Danger, folks. <laughs> hey, for call to action this week, the referendum, since the last time we did a proper episode, the referendum date was officially announced 14th of October for the voice of parliament. Things are looking a little bit bleak still, but there is a campaign. I mean, we've spoken about this before. I know Tom and I have slightly different views on actively campaigning for it. Um, I was having an interesting conversation, again, with my, my friend about this. Um, and what we think the result will be. I fear that it will be a no, but potentially it's like if you can get out the vote of young people and, and, and progressives, particularly young people, then it's quite likely that all the, like, maybe people who care enough about voting yes will turn out enough to get it over the line. So if you do want to help with getting out the vote in particular and joining the yes campaign, we'll put the link in the show notes. There's a bunch of things that you can do there acknowledging, yes, like there are very real and valid critiques of the voice. I don't think in itself as a proposal, it's something that is going to in any way meaningfully get us close to what we need for First Nations justice. But having a no result, I hate, I hate to think what Liberal and Labor would take from that. They'd probably be like, oh, big tick mandate for us to be racist now and do more cook shit. So that could be bad. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true, actually. Yes, that's a good point. The political fallout, yes, and it will boost Dutton sales as well. Again, I don't want to talk about it purely in terms of yeah. like the negativity of a no vote, but it it is, yes, it is real bad. Uh, it was interesting, yeah, the Greens, like Adam did an email out this this week sort of saying, you know, in coordinating a get out the vote effort. It will be interesting yeah. to see what kind of turnout there is because, of course, we haven't had a referendum since 1999 and it is, people probably do have a different relationship to it than a federal election. So the level of informal oh, yeah. voting too might be kind of interesting. So uh, educating people around yeah. that is good. And people should know early voting opens on Monday, October the 2nd too. So if you can't, for whatever reason, vote on October the 14th or you yeah. want to get your voting done early, you do have that two-week um, pre-voting uh, period for the referendum as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Max Channel Mather is also doing another housing town hall, uh, an update on the campaign for renters' rights and more public housing. We'll put the link in the show notes. So it's an, an online um, town hall, I believe. So given that, you know, the housing crisis is still crisising and Labor is still refusing to do fucking anything about it. It would be worth getting along to if you want to do that. Have you written 9-11 Never Forget in the show notes, Tom? I was just thinking of things for call to action. I thought 
Well, tomorrow, Monday is, is September 11th, and I just think we should. Uh, right. We should, just spend a moment. Sure. Okay. Right. Thank you about those brave pilots. Um, brave. <laughs> yeah. If you like content like this, really professional, good content, please give us a five star review, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. If you want to support us even more, you can also give us money, just three bucks a month, and you get access to our Patreon with cool episodes, you know, where we chat to John Cadelka, the cartoonist himself. Um, and who was the other guest that we mentioned on the pod this week? Kind of remember. But, well, yeah, we have episodes with oh, everyone. Osmond. We've got you, the Tattered Land him. review. We will get him on the show at some point. No, no, it was another we've one. Got- there was we, another the, one. The anyway, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Um, but, yes, yeah, so we've got the Taylor Swift deep dive into her politics. We've got so much good shit on there. And we have more coming up. Even while Tom and I are away, we will have more Patreon episodes coming out. Um, and it helps us pay Mike. So please consider doing that. But if you can't, you can also support us by following us and sharing and engaging with our stuff on social media. We're at Serious Danger AU on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. All the links are at seriousdangerpod.com. You can email us, hello, at seriousdangerpod.com. Until next time, I'll see you all in a little bit. Bye. Yeah, have a great holiday, Emerald. We miss you. Thank you. I am on leave. Everyone is entitled to leave. I ask that the media respect my privacy. Stephen Miles is acting premier. Tom Ballard is acting co-host. I return on 3 October. Uh. <laughs> Change from within.